you pray with me? God, that's our prayer, that we would learn to worship you in the good times and in the bad, when we feel slain, when we feel abandoned. God, that we would continue to keep our eyes fixed on you because you are good, you are our creator, you love us. So Lord, I pray now as we turn to your word that you would confirm those truths to us through your word. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Amen, well you can go ahead and have a seat. I wonder if you've ever had a season of life in the past, maybe currently, where you felt like you were walking with God in the darkness. Walking with God in the darkness. Asking questions like, where is God? God, do you see me? God, do you see what's happening in the world around me? Where is God? Similar to Nahum's questions that Doug pointed us uh, to last week, questions like, will God be faithful to his people? Will God bring restoration? This week we come to the book of Habakkuk, which is not so much a record of a prophet speaking uh, to the people on behalf of God or, or a prophet speaking to God on behalf of the people, but rather this is a record of a prophet's cries to God, cries to God to do something. Habakkuk cries out to God and he says, I am ruined, God. We are ruined. Where are you? God, what are you doing? Far from being minor or irrelevant to life today, these minor prophets, and I believe this book of Habakkuk is the word that we need today. How many of us, again, have asked these same questions in life? How many of us have asked these questions maybe even in the last 24 hours? God, where are you? What are you doing? Don't you care? And in this short book, only three chapters, we're, we're shown the existing and the pending ruin of Israel. And then we're given this forward look at a promise of restoration. And in the in-between is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Because I believe that's really kind of where we spend a lot of our life, is in the in-between of those things. I believe there's a kernel of wisdom in this short book, and I believe that's where we find ourselves now. Living in a broken world with a forward look towards restoration... But how do we live in the in-between? How do we live in the already but not yet kingdom of God? And so let's look first at the ruin that surrounds Habakkuk and, and follow along with his dialogue with God. Now this morning, you may hear me say Habakkuk. You may hear me say Habakkuk. Uh, if you really want to fight about it and debate, then you've got my Habakkuk up against the wall. Where's, my, where's the drum hit, Right? Uh, the tr truly, the, the pronunciation of this word is, is sort of up for debate. It's not even um, a traditional Hebrew name. It's, an, it's what they call an Arcadian loan word. So you can say Habakkuk, you can say Habakkuk, and that'll be fine. I'll probably most of the time say Habakkuk, all right? Just so you're knowing, like you're not critiquing all the way throughout. Habakkuk uh, is a prophet in Israel from 609 to 508 BC in the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom. If you're looking at kind of a timeline following along, Jonah, then would have come Nahum, and then would have come Habakkuk. And like I said, this book is set up more like a series of laments, a lot like the Psalms. Habakkuk has also been called a little book of Job. A little book of Job. And I think you'll be able to see why by the time we're done. 
Habakkuk looks around him and he sees the tremendous injustice and evil in his country and in the nations surrounding him. He sees the overall state of godlessness and ruin and he cries out in the opening verses, one, two through four. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. And even if justice goes forth, it goes forth perverted. Again, he's drawing God's attention to the horrible conditions, the horrible life that Israel has become. The Torah, the laws of God, are being neglected which is resulting in violence and injustice. And to make matters worse, all of Israel's leaders are just overlooking it and tolerating it. And they're probably, you know, active in a lot of the same sins. And so he cries out to God, how long, how long, God, are you listening? Are you seeing this? Tell me what you're doing. And God responds in verse 5, excuse me. He responds, he says, you're not going to understand Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's like, no, seriously, tell me what you're doing. And so God tells him about how he's going to judge Israel's corruption and injustice by sending one of, the, one of the worst military powers, the nation of Babylon. And Habakkuk is like, what? I don't understand. God says, yeah, I, I, I knew you wouldn't understand. It's a little bit like trying to explain something to, to a six-year-old or five-year-old, right? We had these kids up here. This last week, my wife was on a trip, and so I had both of our kids and uh, picked them up from my sister's house on Wednesday. And little Griff, my son, he said, he said, Dad, what are we doing this afternoon? And I said, well, bud, we got to get Emmy to dance, and then you and I are going to go over here, and then we're going to go over there, and then we've got to get to church to help set up for the men's Bible study. And then we're going to meet a friend, and we're going to trade cars because they, you know, they need the truck. And, and, and he was like, that's a lot. I don't get it. And I was like, yeah. I know, like, that's why I don't generally tell you all of the things, because I know you're not going to understand it. Just trust me. Just trust that I've got the afternoon planned, all right? It's a little bit like that. Habakkuk pleads with God to do something, and God says, yeah, I am doing something, and I am going to do something. I'm going to send these armies. Habakkuk says, the Babylonians are worse than we are. How can you stand there while the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he We've talked already a little bit in the previous weeks about the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and, and their military strength, their destruction, their perversion, their brutality. And Habakkuk thinks it necessary to remind God of all, their, all these things. And God says, yes, I know. I see their violence. I know that they are fearsome and bitter, that their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves, and their horsemen swoop in like eagles. In chapter 2, verses 6, six through 19, there's a series of five woes. Again, God's saying, yes, Habakkuk, I see their unjust economic practices. I see their greed and how they heap up what is not their own. I see their evil gain. I see their pride, their slave labor. I see their corrupt leaders and their rampant sins of drunkenness and sexual perversion. I see their destruction of the forests and the inhumane treatment of animals. I see their idol worship, their pagan idol worship. So again, this is the ruin that Habakkuk sees and has cried to God is, do you see this? Do you care? Are you going to do something? And God's response is, yes, I do see it, and I see it more clearly than you do. And yes, I am going to do something. In Habakkuk 2, 3 through 4, God tells Habakkuk the vision, again, this vision of judgment and his plan, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And there are those in Israel and in Babylon whose souls are puffed up 
but the righteous will live by their faith. God says, I see it all. I am working. And even as I tell you, I know you may not understand. My timing may not be your timing. If it seems slow to you, I'm asking you to wait. I'm asking you to live by faith. Will you trust me? Even when you can't see it, will you trust that I'm working? I am working in your waiting. And so only the perspective of faith, persevering, patient, obedient trust in God provides for a meaningful existence in the world between the already and the not yet. The righteous live by faith. And so in the midst of ruin and in the time between ruin and restoration, God calls us to wait. God calls us to wait. Now, this answer from God to Habakkuk, is, it doesn't really resolve all the issues, right? None of us really want to hear this, either from God or from me this morning, right? It's not, it's not generally a really comforting thing. Like, you're going through a really hard time? Okay, well, just wait. It's not really easy to hear. It's not really like the thing I'm going to lead with. I'm going into a, a hospital to visit somebody who's in pain or grieving the loss of a loved one, right? Like, That's generally not the thing we live with, but again, it is the thing that God calls us to, the people of God in life, to follow this practice. As I told the kids, it's, you can see, it's really hard for them to sit still. It's a lot like our our son, you know, he's kind of like a border collie. Um, And so getting, getting him to wait for anything, sometimes I just physically have to grab him and wrap him up and say, Griff, wait, be still, wait. Just sit here and just be with me for a second. Just wait. As God's people, this practice is the way that we are to live in the here and now between the ruin and the restoration. And so how do we wait for God? As a quick plug there, I didn't bring the book up, but there's a book called Waiting on God by Andrew Murray. I'll I'll get the information if you want that. It's a 31-day devotional book. Fantastic little book. Doug gave all of us as a staff a copy a little while back, and I've been working through it through Lent. Um, Great little reminders, daily reminders of practice of waiting on God. So the first way that we wait on God is authentically. The first thing that stands out to me in this book of Habakkuk is Habakkuk's honest cries to God. Again, far from shying away from it, far from trying to put on a pretty face before God, Far from minimizing our issues, far from minimizing our struggles, Habakkuk is honest and he's authentic and he cries out to God and he says, God, I don't really see that you're doing anything. I feel like you've abandoned me. I don't really know what's going on. And so I think, um, similar to the example we see from David in the Psalms, I think we have in Scripture a model of our ability and our call to be authentic before God. Again, because he already sees it, he already knows He knows intimately, so when we accept that, when we say, God, I'm going to be authentic before you, I'm going to bring my cries, even my cries of anger and frustration, I don't think anything is uh, that we're feeling is too big for God. So we wait authentically, and then we wait actively. We see Habakkuk in in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will take my stand on the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. Yes, waiting means patience, and yes, waiting means being still, But patient waiting on the Lord is anything but passive. It's an unconditional, faithful, expectant wrestling with God that requires, it both requires and it produces gospel grace, a faithful wrestling with God. Again, it's not passive. So go to the tower, watch, wait, expect. Do not leave your post. 
We wait obediently like a sentry at a military post. Obey your commanding officer. God has spoken, and God calls us to watch and to wait. And so we wait obediently, and we wait repeatedly. This takes practice and a lot of reps, how to wait on the Lord. We talk a lot about a practice of Sabbath rest. I know that's really hard for us as adults, right, who work a lot. And even if we are not working, we are very active and we're doing recreational things that are good. Those are good. I'm not condemning those things. It is good to do things that give you life, that are recreating recreation. But I think we need, I think we all could do a better job cultivating a practice of sitting still and waiting and resting and remembering the call of the Sabbath is six days you will work and on the seventh you will rest. And then when we rest, we know that God is still working. And so it's, it's that day to, to recognize, God, you're still working in my life even if I'm not. And I'm going to choose to sit still. I'm going to wait repeatedly on you, God. And we wait prayerfully. We can and we should cultivate the practice of waiting on the Lord each and every day. Not just in the long seasons, not just in the dark valleys. Obviously, there are some decisions in our life that have to be made pretty quickly. And so it's not like I can say, hey, I'm going to take a whole week to wait on the Lord and prayerfully consider this. Sometimes a decision must be made right now. Take five seconds if you, if you can to have it and say, God, I need to wait on you. I'm waiting on you. I've convicted a lot of days where I'm running through the day and I get home and I'm tucking the kids into bed. And I sit down and kneel down by their bed to pray with them before bedtime. And there's a little reminder from God that he's like, hey, this is kind of the first time you've stopped all day to pray, to talk to me, to say, God, what's up? What's going on in my life? What are you doing? Um, and so to find repeated small times throughout the day, I think would help us to wait uh, repeatedly, prayerfully. Times to just slow me down, Lord, slow me down. Redirect my attention to you. Eugene Peterson talks a lot about the long obedience in the same direction. Again, lots of reps. So we wait authentically, we wait actively, but we also wait communally. Thanks be to God, we do not bear our burdens alone. Galatians 6.2 calls us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Many of us in our dark times walking with God in the darkness, we can be driven even further into isolations. And I think there are, there are multiple responses when we find ourselves following God in the dark. We can either hide, isolate, minimize, pretend like it's not happening. Or we can swing the pendulum the other way and we can work harder. We can try to be busier. We can try to forget it by just, by just doing more. That's also not waiting on God. Many of you, because I know many of your stories and you've let us in, again, allowing us to wait with you communally, have, have shared your stories of, of hard, hardship and brokenness. So many of you know the profound blessing of a body of believers coming around you to sit in the ashes of your life with you, to wait with you, to be still with you, to cry with you, pray with you, and to wait with you. That's what's so beautiful about these 140 prayer cards that you guys have turned in even just over the last week. And there's more in the seats in front of you. I want you to, I want us to practice prayerfully waiting together. 
We took all of these cards, all 140 of them this last week to staff meeting, and we divvied them up. We split up into groups of two, and each of us took, what, 17 of them or something like that, however the math works out. And we spent probably 15, 20 minutes just praying over all of these. We don't know all of them, right? Many of you just put a name. We don't know the name. Put a scenario or just a friend, a family member, someone that you are prayerfully bringing to God, saying, God, I, I don't know what you're doing in this person's life. I trust that you are working. Allow us to come alongside you and pray with you in that. So we wait authentically, actively, communally. Finally, we wait confidently. When we go to a tower like Habakkuk does, it, it helps us gain perspective, right? From the high places, we gain perspective. There, there are notes of three high places in this, in this little book of Habakkuk. 2-1, right? Habakkuk goes up to the tower to watch and wait. But then at the end of chapter 2 and verse 20, we see the reminder that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And this might be the most important part of waiting for God. We wait with a confidence that the Lord is in his holy temple. That he is God and we are not. That he is creator and we are the created. Habakkuk chapter 3 points out this, this awesome picture that it paints of the greatness of our creator God. If you go to chapter 3, you can see in 3.3, 3, his splendor covers the heavens. 3.6, he stands and measures the earth. He can shake the nations with a look. 3.9 and 10, he splits the earth with rivers and he caused the mountains to quake. Yes, we can cry out to God authentically like Habakkuk did, but eventually God tells Habakkuk and eventually God calls us to be silent before him because he is God. And so we wait patiently, quietly, and yet with a profound confidence that God is on the throne, that he is sovereign. God is sovereign and we wait confidently in the promise of his coming judgment and justice. God says, far from overlooking evil and injustice, I will judge it. Part of my restorative work will come through judging evil and injustice. Judging Babylon, judging Israel, judging all the nations like them. Habakkuk 3 also called, uh, recounts how the Lord fought for the Israelites during the Exodus. And then in Exodus 14, Moses, he's talking to the people as they're backed up against the Red Sea and the armies of Egypt are crushing down on them, getting ready to wipe them out. And Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Again, we gain perspective in our waiting. We gain this perspective when we take into account the whole counsel of Scripture. God tells Habakkuk that he can wait confidently in the promise that God will judge, that God will restore, because he has already done it in the past. Many times throughout the Bible, the people of God on their journey with God have said, I believe God has forgotten about me, or I believe God has forgotten about us. And just as many times we see the same people say, praise you, God, you have delivered us, so I will praise you. Not much has changed in thousands of years. We're still a fickle people. Saying, God, I, think, I feel like you've forgotten about me. And then we say, oh, God, you delivered me. God, you answered my prayers. Praise you. And we go through another season. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The people of God 
are a people who rehearse and retell the stories of God's faithfulness to each other and to future generations. Again, the whole counsel of Scripture is calling out the faithfulness of God, the steadfastness of God, the promises of God. I can trust him in my waiting. And so we wait confidently in the promise of God's coming justice and judgment, and we wait, we wait confident in the promise of his sanctifying work in our lives. I was reminded of this great verse, Isaiah 64.4, this past week. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, God, our God, Yahweh God, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Brothers and sisters, this is a profound promise that when we wait for God, he works for us. He acts for us. Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Maybe little by little in this lifetime, but, maybe, but we're promised not fully until we go to be with Jesus in heaven or until the day he returns. One of my favorites, Romans 5, 2 through 5. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. It's pretty hard to say. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Far from God being absent, far from God being distant in our sufferings, he's doing something. Don't ever think he's not doing something, and even if you can't feel it, even if you can't see it right now, Don't ever say God's not working, he's not doing something, he is. Even if it takes a whole lifetime. I mentioned the two two high places earlier, the tower and then the Lord and his holy temple. The third note of a high place is at the end of chapter 3, verse 19. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me to tread on my high places. Again, as we wait on the Lord, we can be confident that he leads us and he grows us and he shapes us. He is the one that strengthens us to go to the high places, the hard places, the places where we might otherwise be afraid to go. Brothers and sisters, our sufferings can push us to the heights if we let it, if we let him do the work in our lives. So we stand on the tower and wait. He leads us to high places. He guides and secures our paths, all because he is a sovereign God. He is in his holy temple. And so we wait confidently in the promise of future restoration. We see this at the end of of the the books of Amos and Obadiah, right? The Lord's promise of a future restoration when all things will be made new. We see one of the best promises in Revelation 21, 3 through 4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4 says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Habakkuk's forward look is in 2.14. He says, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This will happen. This will happen, even if we don't see it right now. Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us in that day. 
And so waiting confidently in the promise of future restoration puts our present sufferings in perspective. And until that day of restoration comes, all creation groans in eager expectation for its renewal, ourselves included. Paul goes on to say that in our hope for that day, we wait patiently. We wait patiently. As I was preparing this last week, I came across this awesome clip of Billy Graham talking about Habakkuk. I wanted to share it with you guys. Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no, I'm not going to tell you, Habakkuk. Because if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. If God today told us what he's doing in the world, we wouldn't believe it. Don't you think God's given up and God's abdicated and God's left the throne? He hasn't. He's still on the throne. And those of us that know him put our trust in him and him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put trust in my money. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all the rest of it fails and crumbles and shatters, he'll be there. He'll be there. Yeah. Some put their trust in chariots and horses and military might, and in self, and in money, and in our country, and in our achievements. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so lastly, we wait confidently in the saving work of Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us that because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of his death and resurrection, we have confidence to approach him, to bring our joys and our pains and our brokenness before him. We can confidently approach Christ in our times of distress and suffering because he's not unfamiliar with these feelings. As we talked about with the kids as they just got done talking about upstairs. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was wrestling with God through agony and sorrow to the point of sweating drops of blood. My father, is there any other way? And so like Habakkuk, we may go through times where we feel like God has abandoned us But Jesus actually was on the cross. As he hung on the cross, crying out, echoing the words of Psalm 22, My my Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we, we, we can wait confidently in Christ because we know that he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Hebrews 4, 16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our help in, in our time of need. And so even as Christ pleaded with the Father to take the cup of death from him, still he trusted his Father's plan, saying, yet not my will, but yours be done. In the same way, we wait confidently on the Lord and say, God, not my will, not my timing, not my glory, but yours alone. Hebrews 10 calls us to hold fast to the confession of hope, our hope in Jesus as our Savior without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And so where does Habakkuk end? As he's walking with God in the dark, as he's faithfully wrestling with God, waiting on God, the book ends and his conclusion is this, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet, even when I am ruined, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. 
going to invite the worship team back up, um, and the kids can come on back in. Um, as I was sitting this last week, um, writing, reading, taking a bunch of notes, one night I'd just close my eyes and set my hands on my computer and just ask the Lord to, God, help me bring all this together, just summarize it. So I just kept my eyes closed. It's kind of just like the stream of consciousness typing. I wasn't even watching what I was typing. Just, Lord, just flow through. It's kind of what's nice about computers, right, instead of having to, like, watch the paper with your pen or something. And so let me offer this, um, what I believe the Lord shared with me, as sort of a closing prayer. So if you want to, you can close your eyes um, or just sit and listen. It's good practice to be still and listen. God said, even when you don't see it, I'm working. In your life, in your marriage, in your kids' lives, in your sorrows and in your suffering, I'm working. Do you perceive it? And I said, God, no, not always I don't. And he said, will you still trust me? Will you still trust that I'm good, that I love you, that I'm faithful, that I am restoring and I one day will restore all things? God says, even if you can't see it or feel it right now, will you trust that the good work that I began in you I will bring to completion one day? Will you still trust me if that timing doesn't line up with your timing? Will you still trust me if the work that I'm doing takes your whole lifetime? God says, do you believe that I know your heart and your desires? Are you willing to surrender them once again, knowing and trusting that I have good and better plans for you, more than you can perceive? God says, as much as you love your spouse and your kids and your family members and your neighbors, do you know that I love them even more and that I'm working in their lives just as I'm working in yours? Even when you don't see it, I'm doing something. Humble yourself under the mighty hand that formed the mountains, under the mighty hand that holds the stars and measures the earth, under the mighty hand that also holds you so tenderly and whispers, I love you. God says, will you wait? Will you wait? Will you stand firm and confident on the rock who is your salvation? And will you wait patiently, expectantly, and confidently? And I will lift you up in due time. Don't rush this sanctifying process. Though you may be crushed in body or in spirit, I am sovereign. Will you choose today to rejoice in your salvation, to rejoice in the promise that I will make all things right, that I will wipe away every tear, and that I will have the final victory? And until that day comes, I'm calling you to trust that I am working in your waiting. Thank you, Father, for your word. Amen. Let's stand and continue to sing these same truths.